0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Painting the Padres. Well, we are hyped here, Logan and Johnny. Padres won the wildcard series over the Mets last night, took two out of three in New York, and now they're moving on to L.A. tomorrow. Man, special time to be a Padres fan. How are you feeling, Logan?
1: I'm feeling amazing, to be honest. Uh, Absolutely wonderful because... Nobody likes the Mets, and I like the Padres, and therefore I'm happy. So, no, that was awesome. That was really exciting. The, the way the series went was, like, pretty perfect. It wasn't boring by any means. It wasn't like, oh, we just kind of mm-hmm. scuffed our way to a win. It was exciting. Their storylines uh, couldn't have been any better than it was. All right, let's
0: break it all down. <laughs> Sorry about that, Mets fans. Couldn't resist changing up our song a little bit. But, uh, well, that's what you get when you take an L. So. All right, let's do a quick game-by-game recap here. Starting with Game 1, one of the most anticipated pitching matchups, Hugh Darvish against Max Scherzer, Game 1 of the Wild Card Series. This is what the Mets gave Scherzer $43 million a year for these starts. And right off the bat, he did not have it. Josh Bell took him deep in the first. Trent Grisham, who was one of the worst players in baseball in the second half offensively, took him deep in the second. And it just continued on from there. Jerkson Profar had a three-run homer in the fifth. And then Machado with a knockout blow two batters later. And just like that, Scherzer's out of the game. Oops. Mets only managed one run off. Darvish had a brilliant start, seven innings, one run, and uh, just like that, the Pods cruised to a Game 1 win, and we were feeling pretty good heading into Game 2, although uh, the Mets had other ideas with DeGrom on the mound.
1: Yeah, they did, and DeGrom came out, and I wouldn't say he absolutely annihilated the Padres. They no. did a fairly good job of putting the ball in play and not looking stupid you know, every single inning. And they got two runs off of him through six innings, which I was very satisfied with. Unfortunately, Blake Snell and Adrian Morahone did not have their best stuff. Snell kind of kept us in the game, but he only was able to go three and a third. He couldn't really go deep. Um, He only allowed two runs. They were able to kind of piecemeal it together until Morahone came in and things imploded from there. Next thing you know, Padres are down by five. It's a seven to two game and all kind of seems lost. The ninth inning comes around, and I think the ninth inning was huge to allow them to win game three of the series because they did not come back, but they loaded the bases. They got Edwin Diaz, which was an interesting decision by Showalter to bring on Diaz. They got him to throw a decent amount of pitches, wait around a long time, and then they went to Adam Onivino, who just did not have it, and the Padres loaded the bases. Manny walked to score in a run. Bell came up. They brought in Seth Lugo. And he was able to retire Josh Bell, who at the time was a game-tying run at the plate. Um, but that definitely allowed them to have some momentum going into game three.
0: Yeah, it really didn't feel like uh, crap. You know, we just got blown out. Um, even though a 7-3 game, it wasn't... If you just look at the box score, it wasn't that close. But yeah, as you said, bringing the tying run to the plate in the ninth, that's huge. Um, and at that point... I was feel, I told you I was feeling pretty good about Game Three. Um, not just because Musgrove was on the mound against Bassett, and we probably have a little bit of an edge there, but the offense was just clicking in a way that we had not seen all year. Maybe in those three games after Melvin uh, had the pep talk in Arizona, but other than that, this was just you know a new Padres offense. And you know my thought is if we get seven off Scherzer and two off Degrom. There's no way Bassett's going to do anything better than that. So that was my hope entering game three, and it definitely paid off. Bassett was out after four, gave up three runs, I believe. And Busgrove, man, what can you say about that guy? Absolute dog on the mound. Put his city on his back in a winner-go-home game. He said it was the game of his life, better than his no-hitter last year, and I believe it, so... You want to get into the the bigger storyline of that game three? Eargate.
1: Yeah. So the the bigger storyline, as Johnny mentioned, I'm sure at this point y'all have heard of Joe Musgrove was accused of cheating by Buck Showalter and the New York Mets. Now, I will say this: I am not fully on board with Wow, Showalter is a jerk, and you know this whole narrative that you know it was soft. Look, your offense is scuffling against a guy who is shoving you're down the ballpark has no energy you're trying to do something anything and so if i'm buck showalter i can't say that i wouldn't do the same because the information that he got from those in the clubhouse was his spin rate on all of his pitches is up and if you looked at the spin rate he had on average for the season versus what it was last night it was up by about 100 to 150 roughly rpms per pitch So, you know, I don't think that it was ridiculous for them to have him check. Now, the part that is a little bit frustrating to me is kind of what Bob Melvin alluded to and said after the postgame. You're not testing a guy who is, you know, known to be a jerk on the mound and some, you know, known bad entity. You know, Musgrove is a guy who is very high character, He's even said himself he does not feel good about his last World Series ring with the Astros. So I'm not really sure what there is to believe that he would be cheating, especially because if if you know how spin rate works, you know if you have more velocity, you're probably going to have more spin rate. Joe was throwing harder last night on all of his pitches, yeah. and therefore yeah. you're going to have about 100 to 150 reps. Uh, rotations per minute added on to each pitch. And as Eno Saris pointed out, for those of you who don't know who Eno Saris is, he's an extremely bright baseball mind. When it comes down to that, plus the adrenaline, plus the fact that Vaseline doesn't allow more spin at all, I'm not really sure what the argument is now.
0: Yeah, no, it's, I definitely agree that it wasn't Bush League by, by Showalter, but at the same time, it was a huge risk because at that point, if as it was found that he wasn't cheating you basically just admitted we can't touch you and we really hope you're cheating otherwise you're just better than us and once the umps you know didn't find anything then that was we said at the time we were watching the game together we said that's the end of the series there's no way you can come back from that um that's just a complete morale killer in the dugout and yeah i mean i I don't blame him for for checking I did kind of find it odd that he waited a whole five innings to do that, um, both from the fact that, like, you know, you just want to get him out of there earlier if you think he's cheating and also, like, I don't know what, like, why did, did it take him all five innings to realize that it's been raised up? We saw him checking the balls in the first inning. One of the first pitches that Musgrove threw, Showalter got the ball from the umpire and was, like, filling it up to see if it was sticky stuff on it. Um But, yeah, uh, ESPN was showing his ears, and they looked all shiny. Um, He said he got a massage before the game, so it might have been, like, lotion or something like that, and he was just obviously sweating a bunch. But, yeah, lotion, sweat, like, that doesn't – that's slippery stuff. That's not sticky stuff. That's not going to help your spin rate. So um, we saw a great breakdown by John Boy Media. After the game, they rewatched, rewinded all of his – like, pretty much every every time they showed Musgrove on the mound, they – watched it, and he never once touched his ears. So, I mean, that's pretty damning proof that there was nothing going on there. And um, that basically takes us back to, wow, what an absolute dominant performance. Seven innings, one hit, two hitless innings after the ear check. I mean, it's got to be up there with the greatest postseason starts in Padres history.
1: It might go down as one of the greatest postseason starts in MLB history. I mean... You look at the fact that it was an elimination game, yep, and he goes seven innings of zero or one hit. That's something that has never happened before in the history of ever. baseball, yeah. ever. So there's an argument that that's one of the greatest starting pitch performances in the history of baseball. Now, it was a wild card game, so it's never going to be put in that same category as you know Roy Holliday's uh, no-hitter or any of those sort of things. But statistically, if you take out the weight... Part of it, you're not weighing the World Series more than the wildcard. If they all weigh the same, that's one of the greatest pitching performances
0: we've ever seen. And the fact that he's doing it on the road, hostile environment, and he's got the distraction of 40,000 fans yelling cheater at him while the umpire touches his ears.
1: Well, I would like and to point out. Back from that. Well, I would just also like to point out that forty thousand isn't true because the Mets weren't able to sell out their postseason game. It was only thirty nine thousand. Because they it was
0: only thirty. Clearly,
1: there's not enough fans in New York to sell out a postseason game.
0: Gosh, what a f- stupid franchise! How do you not sell that out? Um. Yeah. So, that's awesome. There was a, a great article in the Athletic where Grant Brisby, uh, I think the Giants reporter wrote about this game, and he said the two best Padres pitching performances uh, by game score, which is like a, a kind of all-encompassing metric of a, of a starting pitcher's game, uh, were Kevin Brown. Two of Kevin, Kevin Brown starts in 1998. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Kevin Brown, Padres got him before the 98 season, and he was uh, a stud for the Padres. He pitched super well in that postseason. Uh, but those starts were in Game 1 of the NLDS and Game 2 of the NLCS, where we had a one nothing lead in that series. So neither of those games were elimination games. Uh, and the fact that Musgrove did it with his back against the wall on the road, um, just absolutely huge.
1: Yeah, and the thing that makes this so much cooler and so much better is the fact that he's from our city. He is a San Diego. Mm-hmm. And that just oh, doesn't yeah. happen too often. And when it does, I feel like a lot of times, you know, it's just kind of mentioned, oh, yeah, this guy's from the city. But, like, Musgrove was a big Padre fan growing up. Die this hard. dude is involved in the city. He has his own uh, beer, you know, as they <clears> mentioned <throat> 50 times on the broadcast last night. <laughs> I mean, there's just so much going for him. Uh, it's it's just a, it's a dream come true if you're a Padres fan. And the only thing that could be the – the icing on the cake would be a World Series win with Musgrove getting that ring for us. Oh yeah,
0: I mean the first layer of icing would be beating the Dodgers. Um, that'd be huge. I think. I mean, honestly, the icing, the icing in my eyes is already here. In that there will be postseason baseball at Petco Park with fans in attendance, and Logan and I will be two of those fans this Friday. So that's that's super exciting.
1: Yeah, that is. Dream come true. Literally, like, I don't know about you, but I have, dream, like, daydreamed about this a million times where, you know, you get to see a walk off or just something crazy. Like, I can't even, we have no idea what atmosphere is going to be like. Right, because right. you could go to a million postseason games and be a part of an atmosphere, but until it's your own team that you care about, then you put all your, you know, time and energy and emotions into, it's never going to feel the same. So I don't, I don't even know what to expect. Like, I kind of think I do, but, like, I don't think we're going to be, we can't emulate that.
0: No, it's, yeah, that's why it's so exciting. There's just nothing like it. Yeah, I cannot wait for that. So let's take a look at this Dodger series that's coming up. Um, Game one will be Mike Clevenger on the mound for the pods against presumably Julio Urias. Um, Won the ERA title this year for the Dodgers. First Mexican-born player to win the ERA title. So obviously a tough matchup, but the Padres have touched up Arias in the past a little bit. I I don't want to say they dominated him, but they've held their own. You know, he hasn't really dominated against us over his career. Um, I'll look up his career numbers. But um, yeah, I mean, how big is it for us to win game one there?
1: I would say it's important, but it's not necessary. And like, obviously, it's not necessary because you don't have to win the first two games if you win the next three. But in my opinion, just as we said coming into the Mets series, where you have to get one of the two from the Grom and Scherzer, we have to get one of the two from Urias and Kershaw. Think, I think that is widely important because to go down 0-2 in a series where it's, you know, three win or go home games, I don't even, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't know if any team's ever come back from down 0-2 in a division series game. It, and if there has, uh, yeah. I mean,
0: well, the uh, the Padres came back from 0-2 in a championship series game when the championship series right. was only five games
1: ah, against point. the
0: Cubs in 84. And that's when they changed the rules and made the championship series seven games after that. <laughs> um, and, of course, we all know the 0-4 Red Sox came back from uh, three games to none in the ALCS against the Yankees.
1: Yeah, so... It's happened, but it's super rare, is my point. And against a team like the Dodgers, who's successful in winning, their wins wouldn't be fluke wins. They'd be favored. It just doesn't seem likely. So it is a necessity to win one of the first two games. And getting game one would be widely important, though I feel better about game two than I do game one. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. So, you know, game one would be nice. It would be nice to see Clevenger come out and, you know, be the Cleveland Guardians version of him, Uh, Cleveland Indians, I guess, when he was on the team at the time, but it would be lovely to have that version of him that we just really haven't seen that consistently shown as a Padre, and albeit he's been hurt, so it's tough to really dog on him, but, you know, it would be really, really nice to get a dominating performance by Clevenger, though it would shock me if he got to go through the third time through the order. I don't see that being a likely scenario. Yeah, Clevenger. I mean, we can talk about
0: his Cleveland days, but I mean, this year he's been he's been on and off, but he has an ERA over nine, I think, against the Dodgers this year in two or three starts. So, uh, yeah, I can't really see Melvin give him, giving him. I don't really see Melvin giving him a long leash in that game at all.
1: So that's going to be tough. But if we can somehow squeak out game one, that would be phenomenal. Game two, you're looking most likely at Darvish versus Kershaw, which is another all-time great matchup. You got two guys who, um, well, Kershaw is obviously a Hall of Famer, and in my opinion, Darvish would be a Hall of Famer if he started his career in America not overseas, but that is a phenomenal, phenomenal game. And the Padres kind of have to win that one if they lose game one, um, but if not, man, if we could win the first two of the series, that would be something. Um, then you got game three, which is the one that Johnny and I will be coming back for. And that's the one that's up in the air a little bit for both teams. Probably for the Dodgers, we're going to see Tyler Anderson. That would be my best bet, and that's what I'm seeing nationally. For the Padres, you would say, oh, it's going to be Blake Snell. That's who lines up. But because of off days, Joe Musgrove could, in theory, pitch in that game. The thing that makes that – On normal rest. On normal rest, and that's the important part about that. So I guess my question to you is, would you do that? No,
0: because – I mean, well, okay. There's a chance, actually, if we're up two to nothing, that I would do it. Maybe. But if you're not up two to nothing, then you're going to have to pitch Snell and Musgrove anyway. You know, assuming you win that game, uh, if you're down two to nothing. But uh, yeah, I don't really see the benefit of switching up the order there, Uh, especially just based on one start. You know, Snell had been on. An all-time run right there in the second half before that last start in the in the wild card series. So I think he'll be fine. I think he'll come out you know ready to redeem himself for that outing. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't mess up the order right there.
1: No, I, I would agree with you. And I think the other thing it, too is if it was
0: a question, if it was a question of giving Snell two starts or Musgrove two starts, then I would think about it. But it's just like a question of who gets one start, like the order basically of, of games. And that doesn't really matter.
1: Right. And the only argument is, oh, you know, you anticipate an NLCS series. You could maybe get Musgrove to have more starts if they make it to the World Series. But you can't really play like that. Plus, with Blake Snell, like you said, he's been really good. He had one bad outing. And I think the other important note is he has been a thorn in the side of the Dodgers, specifically True. in the postseason. and. He's not a different pitcher than he was a couple of years ago when he pitched against them in the postseason. He's the same guy. He just has to mechanically be sound. And if he's mechanically sound, we know Blake Snell is going to be dominant. And if I'm the Padres, I would not switch it either. I just think that would be a little bit a little bit of a stretch there to do and kind of mess up Blake too. We, at this, like you said, we can, most likely we're going to need both guys in this series. It would be shocking if we swept them. Um, You know, if we get swept, that's a different story. But if we sweep them, that would be unbelievably shocking. So don't mess up Snell. You're going to need him. You don't want him having an extra weird day's rest. Like, sure, he could figure that out. But I just say keep them on normal rest. Keep this thing going. Snell's going to figure it out, and we'll be okay.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And about Arias, I'm doing a little research here. This year, actually, we did not fare too well against him. We only scored four runs in four starts against him. But last year, we did touch him up for six runs in four innings in one start. So it's possible. I mean, Machado has always seen Arias very well. He's been pretty much um, the catalyst in those games against him. Uh, I'm looking forward to that matchup on Tuesday. But, you know, it's not – he's obviously a great pitcher. You don't win the ERA title by luck. Um, But he's not – an overpowering pitcher, which is good for a lineup that struggles with velocity. Um, we talked about this yesterday, last night, about sitting Cronenworth in game one. Um, yeah. How you feeling about that?
1: Yeah. Lefty. You know, there's an argument that you sit Cronenworth all three games if it's going to be Urias, Kershaw, and Anderson, all three lefties, because right now – the way we're playing, you're obviously going to play Josh Bell at DH, and it's really tough to sit Myers. You know he's been hitting the ball hard. While the numbers may not have been sexy in that NL uh, wild card game, he hit the ball very hard, and he played some great defense at first base. Um, Absolutely awesome defense. Yeah. So tough to sit him, and then it's like, okay, Cronenworth or Drury. My opinion, and again, Johnny, and I talked about this last night. Cronenworth was the biggest hole he had yesterday. He was not good. Uh, not even just yesterday, in the whole series, he really struggled. He did not put the ball and play hard, and he struggled to hit hittable pitches. So if it's me, game one, I'm not starting Cronenworth, and then I go from there. I I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I think game one, I'm starting those three righties, and man, Cronenworth is a lethal, lethal bench bat to have.
0: Oh, totally, totally, yeah. Uh, Drury at second, Myers at first. Bell DHing probably there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I was, we also uh, talked about this last night. I mentioned that there were really only three players in my eyes that underperformed in the wildcard series it was Cronenworth, it was Snell, and it was um, Adrian Morihone. And Snell, I have confidence in to bounce back. I've already said that. Cronenworth, um, you know, I, I think if he gets just a few like solid at bats in against righties, he can find his groove for sure. Um, and Morejon, you know, hopefully he's not really asked to pitch super high leverage spots. We have lots of good bullpen depth ahead of him, so um, you know he shouldn't be forced into those situations.
1: No, I totally agree, and we have enough guys to where we can figure that out for sure. So. I guess the only thing that I am curious about will be what do we do with the roster spot that Clevenger is now going to hold? I imagine that's going to be Sean Maniah getting sent away, but there's also an argument that it's now more important to have that long relief, guy. So is there a world that Mania stays on the roster and Moira Hone doesn't make this postseason roster?
0: There is. I think there's also a world where Brandon Dixon doesn't make the roster. Um, because, you know, if we have Manaya on for long relief, that really leaves us with two lefties outside of Morihone, Hill and Hayter. And Hayter doesn't really count because he's the closer. Um, so I don't know. I mean, if you use Hill... Back to back days, games one and two. Um, well I guess there's an off day there. So I don't know. I mean I could see either way, Morahone coming I could see any of Morahone, Manaya, or uh, Dixon not making the roster. I could probably be convinced uh, for either of those roles. And honestly, it probably doesn't matter that much because Dixon never touched the field, Cambusano never touched the field, Azokar never touched the field. Um so, I mean, the, the ends of your roster just don't really get used in the playoffs. We talked about this before. you got to give your most important at-bats and innings to your best
1: players. Totally, and that's what you just said right there is exactly why I think we should leave Dixon off the roster. The sole fact that Campy, Azokar, and uh, Dixon did not touch the bat, didn't even walk out on the field other than after the game when we won, like, that's enough to me to say, hey, leave Dixon off this roster. You're gonna pitch hit Campy over Dixon. You're gonna pitch hit a Zokar over Dixon. The odds of you need needing three right-handed pitch hitting opportunities in a game with no pitcher is just ridiculously low, and there's no way you're gonna right. trust Dixon over essentially anyone. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I think I think Dixon's gonna be left off the roster, um, and I think it's more important to have Manaya and Morahone than it is to have Dixon.
0: I agree. I agree, yeah. Our so, brackets, uh, well, your bracket's not looking good. My brackets are looking pretty good. I got three out of four. I got you one out of one. four,
1: but it's the one that matters the most, and so for That's me, I can survive. very
0: true. Amen to that.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, well, okay, I guess speaking of predictions, do you want to give a quick little prediction about this series before we wrap this episode up?
0: All right, well, I'm going to the game on Tuesday, which is hype. I already, we already said we're going on Friday. So I got tickets to Dodger Stadium on Tuesday. That Soto speech uh, after, the, after the win really got me fired up. He said, you know, Padres fans, it's two-hour drive. Come on up the freeway. Cheer on your real team. Um, well, I'll be going down the freeway from Santa Barbara, but that's okay. Um, works the same either way. I'm dragging my roommate along, dress him up in all the Padres brown and gold. And
1: uh hope going to cheer
0: out our hearts. So, yeah, um, I really hope they win that game. We're going to have Clev on the mound. I I honestly have to say that that's our least winnable game, uh, at least of the foreseeable games in the series. So it's probably an L, unfortunately. I mean, when I say probably, of course, you know, like 55, 45 maybe. Uh, game two, Darvish-Kershaw, that's just, you know, like I'm already eating popcorn for that one. We had a couple Darvish-Kershaw matchups last year, as I remember, and both times Darvish shoved. Do you remember? Gosh, I was there for this game. It was Darvish-Kershaw at Petco, and the only run that Darvish gave up over seven innings was when he walked Kershaw with the bases loaded.
1: Oh, my gosh, I totally remember that.
0: That was killer. Yeah, we ended up losing that game. That was the Mookie Betts walk-off diving catch game. Yeah, yeah. The first game of the of the season series. Yeah, that was brutal. But Darvish shoves against the Dodgers, and also he's just shoving in general against everyone. So I have good confidence in that game. You know, Kershaw's not going to go super deep, um, probably on a pitch count after his injuries. So, it's kind of like a Degrom game in that sense, like. If you can get one or two runs off Kershaw, that's great. But if not, just make sure he's out of there by the fifth or the sixth and then try to go to work against that bullpen. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. Game two, I'll book that as a W. Game three, Logan and I will be there with my dad as well. Selection 300, come see us right behind home plate on the third level. Um, that will be presumably Snell versus Anderson, two lefties. That really, really rests on Snell's shoulders because Anderson's predictable. You know, he'll go six innings, give up two, and Snell is either going to go three innings and walk five guys and give up two runs or he's going to go six and two-thirds and strike out 15 and, like, allow one hit. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I got high hopes for that game. Saturday, it'll be Joe on the mound. And that's uh, with the way he's pitching right now. Last five starts, he's given up a total of one run. That's just not that's not fair. <laughs> so whether they throw Gonsolin, um May even, I doubt they throw May, but maybe in a piggyback situation, I think that's probably our biggest advantage game there. So if we can win that one, hopefully send it to a game five, uh, it'll be all hands on deck there. I don't know who would start that game. Maybe Clev. Darvish on short rest, maybe Clev. Um, but if it is, whoever it is, uh, they got us behind them. So I will be at, at Saturday's game as well, um, although not Sunday because that will be back in L.A. But, um, yeah, I'm ready. I'm so ready for pace, for Padres postseason baseball. I'm so hyped.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm beyond excited, and I can't wait to see how these games end up playing out. And, you know, at the end of the day, I don't care how they play out. If we win the series, no matter how it looks and how it goes, if we win, I think I will be pretty happy. So all I ask is that the Phillies give the Braves somewhat of a fight so that they're not completely rested and ready to go.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Um, I will say, man, I mean, we, we said this all year, all year when we were just kind of like, you know, sl- slogging our way through the regular season, winning in three, losing two, winning two, losing three, that like, all right, you know, as long as we can make it in and play good baseball at the right time, we got a shot. And, I mean, you got to say that was our best series of the year, like our yeah. best played series of the year right there, top to top to bottom.
1: and that's the thing we're playing good baseball right now and I think an advantage that we have especially in game one is we weren't sitting on our butts trying to find a way to that's very true you know there's there's something to oh it'd be nice to have rest and get your rotation back and everyone healthy and nicks and bruises but at the same time it's like okay let's maybe be hot going into this series and for us I think it gives us an advantage in that way
0: yes absolutely yes totally so, yeah, super excited for tomorrow's game and this whole series. This is what we've been waiting our whole lives for. We were four years old last time the Padres made the playoffs in a full season. So hopefully it pays off. Hopefully we don't uh, come back on here next week crying. But if it is, it's always next year.
1: <laughs> just one time I want to beat the Dodgers, just once. Just once,
0: just once, please. It would be such great karma to beat the Dodgers after losing to them six times this season.
1: Alrighty. Well, I think that'll just about wrap this episode up for Painting the Padres. But hopefully, this doesn't wrap up our season series of Painting the Padres when we have more games coming up. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, unless you got anything else to add, Johnny, I think we will. Talk to you guys later, and, yeah, go Padres, man. Let's go. Go Padres. Let's go.
0: Take down the Dodgers. Beat LA.